are in the uh, final week of a series on Come and Behold Him that we did during December. And um, just by way of recap, we spoke of his deity, uh, we spoke about his humanity, uh, we spoke about the humility of Christ, and we spoke last week, Pastor did a wonderful job of presenting that he's ever interceding on our behalf and uh, the presentation of him on high, uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father, our advocate and our um, intercessor. And uh, today, I'm doing a sermon that we titled, Behold His Coming. And um, if you were here for the entire series, you're probably thinking, well, wait a minute. That was his humanity when he came, wasn't it? And uh, you're correct in that. But also, he's coming again is what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about a more eschatological view, the final times and uh, the day of the Lord. And so um, let's read the passage and uh, we'll get started. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, I'm reading from the NASB, and um, I believe that our wonderful people up in our booths uh, behind us have that on the board for you, and there's also Bibles in the pews in front of you. So um, let's read it. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them, suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others, as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Well, first thing I want to talk about in this passage is the sureness or the surety that the day of the Lord is coming. Um, Jesus is coming again. All right? Let me say that again because some of you didn't get a chance to say amen. Clear your throats. Jesus is coming again. That was better. Some of you need to work on your enunciations. How do we know he's coming again? Because the Bible is thoroughly inundated with that thought in mind. The day of the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. It was prophesied that he would come as a baby, and he did. And we preached on that earlier in this series. If you missed it, you can go online and listen to those sermons. I don't have time to go over that. But he's already come as a baby. He's already died on a cross on our behalf, providing us a plan of salvation by trusting in that plan. The work on the cross that he did, he tasted death for all of us. 
that we might not have to taste death. I'm going to die and leave this world if he doesn't come back and rapture us, but I'm not going to die. And neither are you if you've placed your faith in him. John 8, 51 says that those that believe on me and keep my precepts will never see death. You say, how is that possible, Larry? Your own mom and dad died. They're no longer here. Your Aunt Hazel, your grandma, these different ones in your life that have passed away and they're no longer with us. Well, this old body quit, but they never died. For they've never been separated from the Father. Because that's what death is. We'll talk about that a little more. Let's, let's just look at one of the statements that Christ made the night before he was to be crucified. Here's what he told the disciples. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Not I might come. Maybe I'll come. No, no. I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's what he said. This is right before he's going to go and be crucified. You think they might have needed to hear that, huh? Yeah. You think you might need to hear it? Yeah, he's coming. Another place he said this, he says it three times in the last book of the Bible. Revelations chapter 22, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. He says this in verse 7. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. That's verse 7. Then in verse 12, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. And then in verse 20, finally, he says, He who testifies these things to these things, so he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. He who testifies to these things is Christ himself saying, I'm coming quickly. Now you say to me today, you say, wait a minute. He died over 2,000 years ago. He's got a whole different vision about what quickly is. And he does. There's a passage of scripture that says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years on earth. So the way I do my math on that is I think, well, he's been gone about 2,000 years. That's only two days. So he could come back any time, and that'd be pretty quick in his perspective. In the annals of history, that's pretty quick. So you have that. So you got promises in Scripture that say he's coming. He's coming. And the day of the Lord is something that we as Christians are not going to experience. We don't get to be here during the day of the Lord. Thank God. The day of the Lord in Scripture is the tribulation time. It's a day of judgment. How do I know we're not going to be here? Well, the passage right before this in chapter 4, you see the first word of this passage says, now. Why would it say now? Because he's already made a statement before it. And so he's going to go, now, now that that part is said, what's that passage? Look at it. Let's read it really quickly. Chapter 4, verse 13, that, that parochopy or that paragraph of thought. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. 
about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be, and we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The next verse says now is referring to that. So if you're a believer, who's he talking to in that passage? He says, brethren. Who are the brethren? The church. That's you if you place faith in Christ. Can I hear you say amen to that? At least acknowledge that's the church. Phil's gone, but you can be vocal with me. Because he would demand it of you. So, now, as to the times and epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. You're sure he's coming, but we don't know when that's going to be. And he's saying, you don't even need to know that. That doesn't concern you. The times and epics are not for you, the church. It's for people in the world. Not for the church. Why should we need to know when he's coming back? I'm looking for it. I'm preparing for it. But I don't have to know the date. You got these people out here trying to tell us when the day was, and they got mathematic equations, and they got President Trump's got a 666 on him somehow. Mathematically, I don't understand all of that. I don't need to know all of that. My job as a Christian and your job as a Christian is to be ready when he comes. Our job is to get prepared. What's your job as a Christian? Act like he's coming every day. Every day. He might come right now. Some of you would have, some of you'd be really happy because you wouldn't have to hear me preach. Lord, come quickly. All right? So, with that being the case, though, you go, he's sure enough coming. And he's going to come suddenly. That's what the passage says. For you, you, listen, he says you don't need to know about the epics and times. That's why he's not going to write about it. Because he doesn't know it. Christ himself chose not to know. That's up to the Father to tell him when to go back. You know when he's coming back to get the church? Let me tell you. He's coming back to get the church when the bride of Christ is completed. Yeah. When it's completed, when will that be? When the final person that God has already decided gets saved. When that final person places faith in Jesus Christ, we're out of here. God's going to say, go get them. Go get your bride. We're about to have a feast. Go get them. And bam, he's coming to get us. And that's when four will happen. You notice notice four, chapter four in my book, comes before chapter five. Did you notice that? Four usually comes before five. So in my book, I'm looking at going, the rapture of the church happens first. Where does that take place? Does he rapture us on the earth? No, he does not. We're on the earth. Where's he at? He's in the air. He's going to cry out. He's going to call for us, and we're going to go to see him in the air. We're going to meet him in the air. 
Okay? So then you go into the next verse and say, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now he's identifying something different than the rapture. He's calling it the day of the Lord. This is a day of judgment. This is when the tribulation starts. When does the tribulation start? After the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church. Don't try and put me here when the tribulation's going on. You can try, but I can't find it scripturally. And I've looked. So, after the church is raptured, the day of the Lord begins. Begins then. And at first, it will seem pretty cool. Like there's going to be peace and safety and things like that. We've got to talk about that. But he's going to come like a thief in the night. You know, he never comes for the church like a thief. And I told him earlier in the first service, you know, if you go to your house that you bought and paid for, and all the furniture in there is bought and paid for, you need to go steal anything from your own house. You can't even steal anything that you already own. So he's not coming as a thief for me because he already owns me. He already paid a price for me. He already paid a price for the church. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning, you go, what's this guy talking about? And I'm going to tell you, there are two types of people in this world. Two types. Now, I know there's different colors of pigment for the skin, and I know there's female and male, and there's no other female. It's either a male or a female. Don't tell me you're something else. All right? You're either male or female. So you have these different distinctions, and I get that. But I can lay it down to two categories of people in this building right now. There's those of you who believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he died on a cross for you, that he was buried, that he rose again, and he's the only way to get to heaven. There is no works involved in it. He's done all the work. So you either are there, or you say this is a bunch of hogwash, and you don't believe it. There's no middle category. There is none. Well, I'm kind of saved. No, you're not. You either are or you're not. That's our two categories. Guess who he's coming for as a thief in the night? Not for the church. He already owns the church. He bought it and paid for it with his precious life and his blood. So he's not coming back as a thief in the night for the church. If you hear people say that, they're wrong. Thief in the night is never used for the church or for the believer. It's always used as an act of judgment in the unbeliever's life. So you know, because Paul had been in Thessalonica before and had taught them these truths, that the rapture of the church takes place. See, Thessalonica, the people of Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, they were very, very concerned about, he had taught them all these things about what's going to happen in the end times, and then they were kind of like, well, wait a minute. Well, what happens if you die before he comes back? Apparently, they didn't cover that. So he's now talking about that. If you're in the church, you're going to get raptured out of here. And if you're dead, the pastor did this wonderful illustration. If you weren't here, I loved it. Because he said, the dead in Christ are going to rise. Because see, a lot of people think, well, the dead in Christ get to rise, they get to go be with Jesus, and then we get to go up after that. Not true. They're six feet lower. They've got to get caught up to us. Right there in the earth, they got to come up. When they get to us, we all go together. So we know that he's coming after the 
world and those that have denied him and rejected him. So we have these four things I want to talk about. And if I can get them through, I want to talk about the surety that he's coming. We've already talked about that. I'm going to tell you about the suddenness of it. It happens quickly. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the, um, uh, the soberness, the uh, uh, just soberness. We've got to be sober about this. And then the final thing is the salvation itself. Those are the four things I'm trying to touch on. That's the surety. Now listen, he says this. While they are saying, notice we switched. I want to make sure I make this as clear as I can. We go from brethren, right? In verse 1, now at the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. you. So brethren, he's talking to them, talking to us. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they... Notice the pronoun change. They is somebody different than you, brethren, which would be what? The other category we talked about, the unsaved. While they are saying peace and safety, and they will be saying this, they were saying it when Noah's Ark was being built. They scoffed at it. Now, Suddenly, it's going to happen like that. Because he said in the twinkling of an eye, he's going to snatch us out of here. We're going to be gone. And when the church goes, the day of the Lord starts. When the day of the Lord starts, there's going to be judgments poured out. The seals are going to be broken. And there's going to be many horrible and horrific. Here's the most casual, I can't say the word. Um, it's, a, it's a really horrible thing. Um, so the tribulation will not be something that you'd want to be at. It's the wrath of God being poured out. There's two times that we know of where he says he does this, and one of them is at the end of the tri- or during the tribulation, the other one's at the end of the millennial, a thousand-year reign of Christ. There's another one of these days of the Lord type events where the judgment takes place. There's only two places that I know of where that takes place in that um, type of a uh, fullness. There's been times when there's been days of the Lord in the Old Testament where I think the day of the Lord came even when the ark was uh, being shut up. Uh, that was the Lord destroying the, the earth there. So you have that going on, but you have the surety. Now you have the suddenness. Um, I've never been pregnant. I know you're glad to hear that. Um, because that would be crazy if I said that, wouldn't it? But for you who have been, for you ladies who have been. Now, I got to experience a pregnancy kind of by watching my wife go through that. How many of you that have been pregnant or that are pregnant knew that there was going to be labor pains? Come on, raise your hands. Every one of you knew. Okay? You didn't know how severe they would be. You didn't know all of that, but you knew there was going to be a labor that takes place. You were promised that in the, New, in the Old Testament. It was more severe than originally intended because of sin. But there's labor pains. Because I think what we can do here with this passage is say, wait a minute, so like a thief in the night, he's going to come and, and, and they're going to be doing peace and, and then destruction will come upon them suddenly. Like labor pains. Labor pains don't come suddenly. They do, the actual pain and the labor comes on quickly. But there's nine months of pregnancy happening. 
You're being made aware. Your body's changing. There's something growing in you. You know you got to get it out. So don't think when you read this, it's coming suddenly, well, that's unfair. No, 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 no. The world around us, the ones that will be left behind that have decided not to put their trust in Christ, have had an opportunity. Okay? And you have to trust the sovereignty of God on that opportunity. So when sudden birth pains come on, that's very sudden when it happens. You could be walking in the store and all of a sudden, bam, it hits you. Right, ladies? Okay, men, just kind of ignore that, okay? Just trust your women on this. That's what happens. It comes on suddenly. But you know what he talks about? He talks about destruction here. He says that while they are saying things, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with a child. And then this last part, and they will not escape. And they will not escape. Destruction. You know, this destruction that he's talking about here, the Greek word, is not annihilation. It's not annihilation. It's um, the true understanding of it is it's separation from the Father. That's destruction. It's isolation from God himself. Because we don't believe in it. We're not annihilationists. That we believe that when you die and you end up, if you're an unsaved person and you die and you go to hell, annihilationists say you just burn up and that's the end of it. That's not true. That's not what Scripture teaches. I know I'm going to talk about hell. We don't do that very much around here, but we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. In hell, it'll be very dark. You ever burn yourself? Anybody, raise your hand if you burned yourself before. Everybody's experienced some kind of a burn, probably. A sunburn? I went to a concert one time and I, I sunburnt the tops of my feet sitting at a day on the green. I couldn't put shoes on, I couldn't do anything. Highly, very, I don't recommend that. Very uncomfortable. But it's a reminder of how bad, it, it kind of reminds me of like, wait a minute, in hell, you're going to be isolated, you're going to be by yourself, you're going to be in a dark spot, and you're going to burn, and you will not be consumed. You will continually burn. And never burn up. You know, we like to look at eternity on the positive side, and talk about, oh, heaven. We're going to be in heaven, and we're going to live forever, and we're going to be with Christ. And, oh, yes, that's the hope of the believer, and I love that. But, my goodness, you need to look at the other end of the spectrum at times. When you have a chance to witness to somebody, and then you, out of fear or whatever, decide not to, all that you would get a view of what hell would be like. So that you would say, I'm willing. i got to be able to say and do God saved you to be his ambassador in this area. So the suddenness of the day of the Lord is going to take place. It's going to happen quickly. And here's the thing. Nobody will escape the day of the Lord. No one. If you're on this earth, when the church gets raptured, and you're not part of that rapture, you are not going to escape the judgment that's coming. You will not escape it. That's why we want to tell you about Christ today. 
We want you to know him so you don't have to be left behind. Amen? Amen. So the term thief in the night never used for the church. I want to know something. You ever been broken into? You ever had somebody come in and steal your tools, your, your stuff from your house? You feel so violated by it. Now, I've had that happen to me a couple times, and you know what my wife and me didn't do? We didn't throw a party and say, oh boy, that's great, we got ripped off. No, 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 no. We didn't celebrate that at all. It's not to be celebrated. It's not a thing to be celebrated. So this thief in the night thing, when he comes, destruction is going to be imminent. It's imminent. It's going to happen. And you won't be able to change it. Listen, right now we're living in a dispensation called grace. It's the grace dispensation. It's where God is bringing many people into his church. When the church is raptured, that dispensation ends. So now you're under the judgment dispensation. You're under that final times dispensation at that point. Yeah, I'm telling you that because if we get raptured today and you're here, I want you to know what, you're expect, what to expect. And they will be saying peace and safety. They will because there's false prophets. There'll be those that claim to be Christ, the Messiah, during this period. There'll be that. And I, I was reminded when I was looking through this. Where do, you, where do you get the best sleep in your life? In a brightly lit room? No, in darkness. You like to be in the dark when you're trying to sleep. Because light wakes you up. But the world, after the rapture of the church, the world is basically, they're going to be caught napping. They're just asleep. They don't realize they need a Savior. They will not be listening to and responding to the Word of God. And um, the Savior talked about that even when the whole Noah building of the ark the people, Noah warned the people, God is going to send rain, which they probably thought was very strange because it had never rained up until that time. He's going to send rain, and if, if you're not one of his people, you're going to get caught. So why don't you turn from your wicked ways and serve the living God, and then you can get in the ark. And so, and it, he says this, and it, this is Christ speaking in Luke. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. That's what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. Guess who the ark is today? It's Jesus Christ. He's the ark. If you're found in him, you're safe. If you're found outside of him, there's no escaping what's to come. There's no denying that the culture in the days of Noah was perverted, depraved, so God destroyed it. Can you say the culture of today is any better than it was then? 
If it's not as bad, it's, it's going there at light speed. The world will be ignoring Christ even when, after the rapture, they'll still ignore things, I believe. Because this is when they start saying, peace and safety. They start saying, oh, peace and safety, peace and safety. And guess what a lot of our world leaders are saying? Oh, we need peace, we need peace. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Look what Peter says in this same reminder of the Noah thing, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, only eight souls were saved by water. Only eight people went in that ark. And God saved them. They were seen as the ones that would serve God, the righteous of God. Do you think that that... I, I think that the people in Noah's day were saying, we don't need that. We're, we're having a good time. We're partying. We're eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die type of thing. But I wonder how they felt when it started to rain. And they went to the ark and it was closed up. And no one else could get in. They probably felt like we were warned. We were warned. Now they could blame God. They could. But he basically did what he said he was going to do. And he gave them plenty of opportunity to make a change. And they didn't do it. How many people out there do you know of that you've witnessed to several times and they just keep ignoring the message? They just keep ignoring it. The finality of it, they will not escape, scares me. It scares me. Should scare you too, I believe. So, it's coming quickly. We, we said, he's sure enough is coming. There's no doubt he's coming. And the second thing is going to happen swiftly and quickly. It's just going to happen. And, and once the church is gone, they're in it. You can't change it. And you're going to be here for it. So let me say this to you believers, though. You're to be comforted in this. You won't be here. You will not be here during this process. Amen? Amen? You'll be gone. You'll be in heaven. So, um, that sounds wonderful. And it is wonderful. Thank God he set it up this way, because I sure don't want to be here during tribulation. Okay? But this is what it should do for you. When you hear about, and I haven't even touched on all the horrible things that are going to happen, because that would take me a whole lot longer than the hour and a half I'm speaking today. In both services, 45 minutes in one, 45 in the other. <laughs> Tricked you, didn't I? That was rotten. But I think that this passage should be a motivator for you. And we're going to um, talk a little bit about the characteristics of those that are in the light compared to those that are in the dark. And um, you're commanded in Scripture to be an ambassador of God. 2 Corinthians 5, I've preached on one of my early, early sermons, and um, I've never forgotten this passage. He says there that you are to beg and plead with those people who aren't reconciled to God that they would be reconciled to God. 
that they would be reconciled to God. Because if you don't get reconciled to God and he comes, I pity you. I pity you. And I will weep over your soul even today. Because I don't want to go to heaven without you. I want you to come. I want you to be there. I got loved ones. I don't want them to be here. Sometimes we can be a little bit uh, caustic in this area. Well, they won't listen. I'm saved. I tried telling them. Is that begging and pleading? He says beg and plead with them. Now, that doesn't fit real well with the Calvinistic thoughts that we have, but it sure enough is there. And I think he put it there so you wouldn't be flippant about it. You wouldn't act like, well, I told them and they didn't listen, so no big deal. No, you beg and plead. Um, when you start thinking about hell, uh, it makes you want to beg and plead for people's souls. So the characteristics of those in the light, um, they're pretty clear in the passage. We'll walk through those. Believer's nature is described in verse 4. To see the, we look at the contrast of the word but. He starts up again with that word but. It means he's changing subject. He's, he's going to do something different than what he's been talking about. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. Another assurance, you ain't got to worry about this. The day of the Lord will not have an effect on you because you're not in the dark. You are in the light. You are in the day. The day of the Lord takes place, but I'm not here. And you won't be either if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That but, that contrasting word is huge. You will not be overtaken by a thief because you're in the church. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor by, of darkness. So then what? Go to sleep and don't worry about the world? No. Verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert. Be sober. Remember, I told you we we're going to talk about being sober. You've got to be sober about this. We're not in the dark. What are the actions we take? Don't sleep. We are to be awake, be alert, be sober. This does not mean physical sleeping. We're not talking about physical sleep here. You need to sleep. Everybody does. That's not what he's talking about. It's the mental attitude that you have. It's this setting yourself up to say, I am going to be alert. I'm looking for someone to tell about Christ. I'm sober. Guess what? If my house is on fire in the back room, I'm not sitting in my recliner in the living room going, oh, well, I guess when it gets to the living room, we'll get out of the house. No, 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 no. I'm going to be up telling my wife, let's get out. Grab the cats, the dogs, everybody. We got to get out of the house. Well, that's what you should be doing in this area. Guess what? The house ain't on fire yet, but it's well stocked with kindling and kerosene. And when that match gets lit, there's no stopping it, as we already saw. So, be alert. Be alert in which way? With the good news. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the only way to get out of this circumstance. 
you got to be in him. And so how do I do that? I place faith in Jesus Christ, what he did on a cross. He was God, yet he was man. He died on my behalf. He was raised again. He ascended into the heavens. He's at the right hand of the Father. The entire series that we've preached this week, this month, is there for you to say, I want that. Oh, that you would say, that's what I want. Quit coming to church and not making a decision for Christ. God forbid you show up in this building every week and you don't know him. I want you to know him. <sighs> Sleeping at night, that's when you sleep is at nighttime. And what he's saying there represents a passive indifference. And when you're getting drunk, it's active sin. He's not talking about somebody boozing it up. He's using that metaphorically. When you see people that are drunk, what do they do? They get numb to reality. Active sin makes you numb to reality. The reality is you need a Savior, but you want to get caught in your sin so much you don't realize you need a Savior. This means I'm supposed to shut up. But I'll show you what we do with that. We just set that right there. Sober-mindedness. Don't be sleeping like others. Then we go to verse 8. But since we are of the day, another one of those contrasts, but, see, you're not asleep. You're not in the darkness. You're not supposed to be drunk. You're supposed to be sober and alert. The opposites, everything's an opposite. Drunkenness, sober. Asleep, alert. Right? That's who we are. We're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. What's the little song you sing in Sunday school? Hiding under a bush. Oh, no, may it never be. Don't hide the light. Let it shine. If you're in a dark, dark world and you're the light, you can't help but shine. You light a match in a dark room, it lights the whole room up. So, but there in verse 8, he starts again. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. I got hope. Hope for salvation for the future. There's three tenses of salvation. There's salvation that saves you from the past sins. There's a salvation that's going on in your life today. And then there's a salvation that glorifies, the glorification part of salvation in the future. And that's what he's talking about there. That's the hope of the salvation to come. And then look at mine. I'm skipping past things at this point. I'm sorry. Salvation from what? Look at this. Verse 9. For God has not destined us. We're back to that pronoun again. We switch from them to us again. We, he has not destined us for wrath. I'm not going to be here. I'm not here for wrath. I'm saved. I'm a child. Who puts their child through wrath? Not the God of the universe. 
that is not destined us for wrath, but for the obtaining, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, now he's changed different words now. Don't get me wrong here. This awake here, he's talking about whether you're alive or you're asleep, you've already died. You've died in the Lord. You've died believing in him. But what's he say? Look at this promise. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Not we might live with him. We will live with him. I'm counting on a lot of wills. You know, you read a will, what does it do? When you read a will, there's something in there for you, hope. I love these wills. He, I will live with him. Not I might or I got to live a certain, oh, I got to do the, do the do's and don'ts and keep the law. And I don't have to do the law. I'm under grace. I'm going to be with him for eternity. I will be with him. So it's a salvation from the wrath of God. Oh, I hope that you placed your faith in him today. I hope that you know him. If you don't know him, if you're unclear, if you're not sure, you could say, if I could say, if you stood before him, what would you tell him if he said, why should I let you live with me forever? If you got there and you don't know what you would say, oh, please come and see me after the service. Please, I'll stay here as long as I need to. And I'll grab some of these other gentlemen, these, these elders and deacons to stand with me, and we, can, we just want to tell you about him. Because that's, I want to be sober about this. I want to be alert. If you need help, I want to help you. And look what he says here to us, to us that are believers. He closes this out in verse 11, much like he closes out 18 after he talks about the rapture. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. So my destiny as a believer, no wrath, salvation through Jesus. I'm awake, and I'm going to live with him forever. I might end up dying, but I'm still going to live with him forever. Dying in the sense of this body staying behind. And trust me, I get to see this body and ain't much to take with me anyway. Okay? So... Encourage and build up one another with these truths, just as Paul told the Thessalonians to do in regards to the rapture earlier. As we approach the end of 2018 and head to 2019, perhaps you're doing some reflections. I want you to reflect in this area. Have you been being sober? Are you on the alert? I know some of you are. And I've talked to you, and I, I know that you guys are witnessing. You're doing, you're doing, it's just who you are and what you're about, but how many of you are not as alert, not as sober as you need to be, maybe? And uh, I was thinking about it, I go, well, perhaps you're doing some reflection coming to the end of the year e anyway, because, you, you know, you always make resolutions, right? You're going to make a resolution about what you're going to do in 2019, you typically do that because you didn't do everything you were supposed to do in 2018. Right? 
mean, that's what happens. I was going to lose 25 pounds last year. Not I personally, I'm just saying, you, you guys. I don't say that because I didn't have any plan to lose 25 pounds. I find it hard to lose weight if I keep eating the same rate I'm eating now. And I like eating so much, I don't want to change it. But anyway, as we were looking at New Year's resolutions, when you look at those, um, or perhaps you say, I want to spend more quality time with my spouse and children, or, or maybe even some spiritual things, like I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and, and we've got some plans that are available to you if you want to do that. Um, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop a prayer life this year, like I've never had before. I'm going to get up extra early in the morning and spend that 15, 20 minutes with the Lord in prayer and read the word a little bit before I head off for the day. Well, I just encourage you, don't, don't say those things and don't make that a resolution unless you're really planning on doing it. Really make the plan and set to it and do it. And God will, God will meet you if you want to pray with him. He'll meet you in his word. He will tell you things. He wants you to know him. There's a reason that we have this book. It's not to make you guilty because you don't read it. It's to make you read it so you get to know the man and, and the God of this book. And I'm not trying to make you guilty either. So in light of this, never, never accomplishing resolutions type of a thing, because most of us don't. I thought it would be a good idea to just kind of have you take a look at Philippians 3. We're not going to look at it but what Paul says there is, I haven't attained everything I want to be. And I love that Paul says that because he's the writer of this book. And so he says, I haven't attained everything that I need to be or that I want to be or that, that I'd like to be. But you know what he says that I love? As he's approaching, if he was here today and he was approaching 2019, he'd probably say what I'm going to say because I think that's kind of how it translates. He's saying, you know what? Forgetting what's behind me. Forgetting what's back there I press on to the prize I'm going to keep pressing on because you know what there's a poet that said once you've had time and the time is no more you have no more time like once the time has passed you don't get that again it's over you, you can't go back and grab it again so Paul says having not accomplished everything that I needed to accomplish I press on to the prize still I don't if you get caught looking back that's not good you gotta go, you got to press forward. So in this area, I would just challenge you. Who in your mind can you share Christ with this year? Come on, we've talked about oikos here. We talked about it a long time ago, so most of you don't even know what that means. Okay, so the oikos is that closely knit group, your family, the ones that you're around the most, that you know are saved, they're unbelievers. Have you resolved, are you going to resolve to... Be sober and alert this year about telling people about Christ in light of the fact that if you don't, they're going to spend eternity in a horrible place. And don't tell me about election. I understand election. I understand the sovereignty of God. But I also understand that he said, how will they hear if you don't tell them? Huh? Isn't that what he says? Open your mouth and share the greatest news that you have ever heard. Because when you have this salvation, it makes you go into action. You don't fall asleep. You sleep in the dark. We're not in the dark. We're in the light. You can't sleep. Press on. What's the prize? 
Jesus Christ himself. He's the prize. I encourage you this morning, this afternoon, then. press on. Press on. The day of the Lord is coming. It's for sure. He's coming. It's going to happen suddenly. It'll be too late then. Once the day of the Lord comes, it's too late for you. So press on. It's going to happen. It's going to happen suddenly. You've got to be sober-minded believers. You've got to be alert. Salvation will keep these people. Salvation is what's keeping you from the wrath of God. Father, I thank you today. Thank you so much for saving a wretch like me. That I might not ever have to taste death and the wrath of being separated, the destruction of being separated from the Father. I got loved ones, Lord, that died. They've left this world, but they never died according to your description. They went right out of this life and left an old decaying body behind and went right into your presence. That's the hope. It's our hope. We're going to go right into your presence. And as my grandfather would say, Lord, I'd love to go by air, but if I got to go the subway route, I don't care as long as I arrive. Lord, would you make us, would you make Valley Bible Church sober would you sober us would you make us more alert the house is on fire all that we would try and bring as many people into the ark as possible we know ultimately that's your work to do but you said that we are supposed to be ambassadors begging and pleading that they would be reconciled to the father through the Son. Thank you, Lord. Now go with your people now in Christ's precious name.